To reveal important secrets of the universe, we use light that humans cannot see, but our spacecraft can. Let's talk to an astrophysicist who has X-ray vision. X-ray astronomers' main interest, they're mostly interested in supermassive black holes at the centers of galaxies and how the universe evolves. Hi, I'm Jim Green, and this is Gravity Assist. We're going to explore the inside workings of NASA in making these fabulous missions happen. I'm here with Dr. Martin Weisskopf, and he is the project scientist for NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory and the chief scientist for X-ray astronomy in the Space Sciences Laboratory at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. I have known Martin since I started working at Marshall Space Flight Center in 1980, so it's a real treat for me to have Martin on Gravity Assist. Welcome. Thank you, Jim. It's nice to see you again. I got there in 77, three years before you. We've been a long-term friends and long-term NASA employees, and you've got so much experience. But your field of interest is really studying the universe with x-rays. How did you get interested in doing that? I went to Columbia University as a postdoc because I wanted to switch fields. I did my PhD in atomic physics and I was going to switch fields every five years, and they were doing X-ray astronomy at the beginning, and so it was very exciting. Sounding rockets. Wow, sounding rockets, yeah. And we still use sounding rockets for many, many purposes. Where do we find X-rays in our universe? The amazing thing is, is and very surprising over the years, is that you find them everywhere. X-rays are light at extremely high energies, and they're found in regions where there's extremes of matter at high temperatures, millions of degrees, super strong magnetic fields, things like that. You were the project scientist for the Chandra X-ray Observatory mission, one of NASA's great observatories. Martin, when did Chandra launch and what were some of its goals? Chandra launched on July 23, 1999. It was supposed to launch two days or three days earlier and every day there was some reason we had to postpone, but the third time was a charm. I was hired in 1977 after headquarters decided it was a great idea, this kind of an X-ray telescope that could look at X-ray objects with much higher sensitivity and better angular resolution than before. Uh, I was hired at Marshall in 1977 they all thought I was too young to be the project scientist. Now they think I'm too old to be the project scientist. <laughs> but that just, you can't win. And its scientific goals were really uh, huge. Uh, they were to try to understand how the universe works, especially through its X-ray emission. Exploring the universe, try to see what kind of X-ray sources were out there, were all classes of astronomical objects X-ray sources, and if so, why? Why is this happening? Uh, you could understand how neutron stars might be in a binary system, might get their energy from gravity. Go to wave your hands. Uh, normal stars, magnetospheres, are something we've been trying to understand for decades, and we're still trying to understand them. They're very complex, uh, but these were the kind of goals 
to really nail down the ignition mechanisms of astronomical objects and to understand the evolution of the universe. What has Chandra been finding out recently? Well, as Chandra has made him most recently a fantastic discovery, has discovered evidence for a planet in another galaxy. I mean, is that amazing? Indeed, I can hardly imagine that. And it's a beautiful spiral galaxy, too. How did that happen? Well, it happened because the scientists who wanted to take the observation wanted to study that galaxy. And they knew about these various candidate uh, stars that have possibly planets around them. And they just stumbled into the right information. So for them to be able to make that fantastic measurement, they actually had to make many observations over and over again, waiting for the right time for the planet to move in front of a very active X-ray star. Isn't that right? That's right. And it's the active X-ray star and the galaxy itself. Well, what kind of star was it that has to emit these huge high-energy X-rays? This is one of the great... Amazing, interesting things. Not only stars like the sun have solar flares, but other stars flare. And we found that we see X-rays for various different regions from essentially all categories of stars. Although that's not the X-ray astronomer's main interest. They're mostly interested in supermassive black holes at the centers of galaxies and how the universe evolves. Well, what's been one of your favorite Chandra discoveries? Oh, my. I, I would have to say, because I've been interested in this target since I did my first experiments in 1970, is the Crab Nebula and its pulsar. This is a source where a star exploded and left a nebulosity around where the material of the star is running around and crashing into the interstellar medium and getting very hot, and it left a compact object. And when I say compact, I mean compact, about the size of a city like Huntsville, Alabama, but weighs as much as the sun. The density on the surface of this star is like 10 billion people per raindrop. So these are really cool stars, and we want to study them. And I have been studying that object, the crab and its pulsar, since the beginning of my career, and for one reason or another, then with Chandra, I did some discoveries with Hubble, with various different things, and I hope to with this new instrument that I'm fortunate to be principal investigator of, ICSPI, the Imaging X-ray Polarimetry Explorer. Those collapsed stars, those neutron stars, as you say, that are emitting enormously intense X-rays, how are they doing that, and what do we know, and how come we call them pulsars? Uh, does the uh, radiation turn on and off? It does. That's one of the exciting things. The radio astronomers discovered the first pulsars, and X-ray astronomers quickly followed with X-ray pulsars, some of which are also radio pulsars, some of which are not. The X-rays do pulse like that one in the crab pulses. 33 milliseconds is the period. It's very fast. And we even have pulsars that are sub-millisecond in rotation. Where does the energy come from? Well, the quick answer is from the fact that these objects are spinning. So if you're spinning, you have angular momentum, you, you store energy. 
and we watch these systems slow down. So they're losing energy. That energy goes into producing charged particles and X-rays. One of the properties of all light is that it has a polarization to it. What exactly is polarization and why is that so interesting to us? Light is an electromagnetic wave and does a fancy word by saying that in addition to the direction of travel, at right angles to that direction, there's an electric field and a magnetic field. And if each X-ray has all the electric fields lined up, we call it 100% polarized. If on the other hand, all of the electric fields are at different orientations, it'll average to their net direction, average to zero, unpolarized. So the question is, we want to measure polarization from the X-rays from objects and see what it is, and then see whether we have a theory that explains it. And in preparing for our missions, we have done a lot of theoretical work to try to anticipate where we might see polarization, and some of these things are really neat. When I think of polarization, I think of going out onto the lake and light coming down and reflecting off the surface of the water, and then that produces a glare, and that's polarization too. Yes, what's happening there is when the light comes in and reflects off the surface, that reflection only allows one orientation of the electric field, the one that's parallel to the surface, to come through. What we're trying to do is to measure the glare, if you like, not to get rid of it. We want to measure it. The light that we're seeing from the lake and the glare is polarized. And if you put a polaroid in to, to suppress certain directions of the electric vector, then you get rid of the glare. Now, we're not trying to get rid of the glare. We want to see how much glare is there and which way is it polarized. The more the glare, the better. That would be nice. <laughs> that would be nice. I understand that you had an experiment many years ago to measure the polarization of X-ray light. What was it and what did you find out? Now, that's amazingly enough that in 1971, on February 22nd, flew a sounding rocket from Wallops Island, Virginia. And we looked at that source, the exploded star, the Crab Nebula and its pulsar. And lo and behold, in that little rocket experiment, which was five minutes above the atmosphere, we measured the integrated polarization from that system. And that at the time was extremely important because while were the X-rays being produced, the answer was synchrotron emission, a type of emission where an electron gets accelerated in a magnetic field. And if that was the correct theory, we would see strongly polarized light. And we saw about 20% polarization, which is very strong uh, in astrophysical terms. And so, yes, we nailed it. And then we did a follow-up experiment on a satellite called Orbiting Solar Observatory 8 in the mid-70s and measured it uh, 20 plus or minus 1%. So we nailed it. Wow, that's fantastic to be on the ground floor of using an important wavelength that we can't see normally and making new and exciting discoveries using these concepts of polarization. Now, most recently, you became the principal investigator for the Imaging X-ray Polarimeters Explorer, or ICSPI. What's ICSPI going to do? 
Well, XB is the first mission that's dedicated to X-ray polarimetry. That's what it does. It has a beautiful, incredible technology that was started at Marshall Space Flight Center and then developed independently and by our colleagues in Italy, which provided polarization-sensitive detectors, and we at Marshall build X-ray telescopes to put in front of them. We have three optics and three detectors in XP, and we're going to spend all of our time looking at the bright sources and trying to measure the polarization for the first time and confound the theorists. I'm sure that will happen, but what are some of the objects that you're going to look at with XP? Yes, well, one class of object is what we call stellar mass black holes. These are black holes. They weigh about 10 times to 20 times as much as the sun. And they're in a binary system. They are orbiting around a normal star. And from near the black hole, we can't see the black hole, but from near the black hole, the conditions are right that X-rays are produced. Now, one of the things that our simulations in theory tells us is that the polarization is a function of energy, depends on the spin. So we will not only measure the polarization as a function of energy, just to understand what's going on, but measure the spin of the black hole in a way that's never been done before. That's one of the many cool things that XP will try to do, and I'm sure will do. Well, you know, I'm really excited about other things that XP can do, such as looking at active galactic nuclei. What do we expect to see when we do that? The, the center of galaxies that are not ours. Yes, and we come back to, first of all, we come back to black holes again because we find that at the center of galaxies are supermassive black holes, millions to billions of solar mass. And often, as part of the way these physics of how these things interact with the galaxy, they form jets. So there's jets of X-ray emitting material that's pouring out from this object. And we're trying to understand how that happens. And that'll give us some further insight into exactly the details of how do these beasts produce all this energy, not only X-rays, but visible light, radio waves, etc. So the launch is coming up soon. And once you get it on orbit, how long does it take to check it out before you really start observing things? Yeah, the launch is in early December. Right now we have a target date of December 9th. And we have a 30-day period from the time of the launch to check everything out. A very important aspect of the that sequence is a week after launch, we have a boom, an expandable boom that separates the telescopes from the detectors. That has to work. We've tested it up a lot, so you can imagine, but it has to work because if it doesn't work, we're in trouble. But I'm very confident that it will. Uh, and that happens a week into the launch and then we turn on the instruments for the next three weeks check them out, and then we start taking data a month into the mission. Well, you know, since Chandra didn't measure X-ray polarization, XB is a huge advance. Uh, are you going to be using the same targets that Chandra did or even more? 
We will be using many of the targets that Chandra has done, and we're especially for the imaging part where we're looking at polarization of extended objects, we will be using the Chandra images because Chandra is, can see a dime at 12 miles. Uh, Ixby can't do that. It's Chandra's sub-arc second resolution. Ixby is 30 arc seconds resolution. And uh, we will be using Chandra images to guide our images. Well, will there be ap opportunities to uh, look at the same object at the same time between Ixby and Chandra? Yes. In fact, some of my colleagues have already proposed such, and we're looking at the Galactic Center at the same time we're with uh, Chandra as we are with Ixby. So yes, indeed, uh, a lot of science gets done, as uh, you know very well, by using the whole suite of instruments, the scientific instruments that NASA has provided things like Chandra, the New Star, which is a higher energy experiment, Hubble, and then hopefully JWST in the future. So very near future, I might gather too. So that'll be very exciting. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now is the launch out of Kennedy Space Center? Yes, it's at Kennedy Space Center, but the orbit will end up going around the equator. We do that to, to keep our charged particle background low. And so the Falcon 9 will take us into orbit, maneuver us down to the equator, and then let us go. That's fantastic. Well, what are you personally most looking forward to about XB observations? One is the Crab Pulsar as a function of pulse phase. Polarization is a function of pulse phase. I tried to do that years ago. We just didn't have sensitive enough polarimeters. Want to see that done. The other one is one of the magnetar experiments. Magnetars are called that because we think their magnetic fields are 10 to the 15th Gauss, a thousand times more than a conventional neutron star. And at those field strengths, the physics changes where you have to worry about fancy things like not classical electricity and magnetism, but stuff like quantum electrodynamics. That is, the quantum theory of the fields is very important. There was a physicist who in 1934 wrote a paper on what happens to propagation of light when magnetic fields get beyond a critical field of about 10 to the 13 Gauss. That was my uncle, Victor. And so I would just love to be able to have, do an experiment that says, yes, quantum electrodynamics is right in this context of a magnetar, and I'll quote Vicky's paper, and it just feels so, would feel so good. I would have loved to have done it while he was alive, but still I'm looking forward to that. Oh, wow, I understand completely. Well, Martin, I always like to ask my guests to tell me what was that event or person, place, or thing that got them so excited about being the scientists they are today. I call that event a gravity assist. So Martin, what was your gravity assist? That's a very tough question in the sense I've been fortunate enough to have several. But I think that first experiment <clears throat> we talked about when I was a young postdoc at Columbia, after doing the data analysis in my office, 
I realized at that moment that I was the only person ever alive that had ever existed that knew that the crab was 20% polarized. And it was just the feeling of awe came over me. I thought I was in church uh, for a few minutes. And, and that was my first such moment. And uh, being able to be project scientist, which I still am for uh, Chandra, to have been one of the people to build what we call a science, well, one of my scientists called a scientific cathedral, one of the great observatories of NASA, has been another moment that actually keeps going. Uh, we built a design for three years with a goal of five. We celebrated our 22nd year this year, and the observatory keeps putting out fabulous new unexpected results. Yeah, indeed it does. But it also sounds like your family has been involved in astrophysics over the years. What's that been like? Well, it, I, have a, I have a family of intellectuals that are all smarter than I am. Uh, my uncle was a physicist. My father was an economist. My mother taught romance languages. My aunt was a psycho psychologist taught that at university. So it's just nice, just a little frightening. <laughs> can't read my father's papers because he uses words that are longer that I can pronounce. I can't read my uncle's papers because the math is way beyond me. But I've done a few things too, and I'm an experimentalist and I love building hardware. Well, that's wonderful. And congratulations on being the PI of XP. Martin, thanks so much for joining me in discussing your fantastic career and the opportunity to look forward to even more results. I hope so. Just takes a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work by hundreds of people throughout the world. And it's showing. And NASA has played such an important role in this. Uh, if you're a young person want to get into something exciting, no matter whether it's from the engineering management science or any other aspect of it, come to work with us at NASA. You'll love it. Well, join me next time as we continue our journey to look under the hood at NASA and see how we do what we do. I'm Jim Green, and this is your Gravity Assist. <laughs>